I'm just giving you a little warning. This episode contains adult language. Hi, Art Supply Posse. The cost of making the podcast has increased significantly during the past few months. Podcast hosting fees, domain name fees, recording and editing expenses have all gone up. If we were to provide you with some PayPal details or perhaps buy me a coffee details, would you be interested in making a one-off payment to support us? In return, you'd be helping to keep the podcast going and would also get access to our bonus episodes. Let me know what you think via kim at artsupplyposse.com or via Instagram. My guest today, Christine Garvey, reached out to me after seeing an Instagram post about the book The Artist's Way, which, as you'll know by now, has been a recurring theme of this podcast of late. What I realised as I prepared for this episode is that Christine is another artist with many facets to her artistic life. She's an artist, she's an art coach, she's a podcaster. Christine plays in many creative spaces and I love that. I also love that she, despite having her work exhibited around the world, which to me means that she's a very busy artist, she can make time to join us here in the Posse. So thank you, Christine, and welcome to the Art Supply Posse. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kim. Excited to talk to you. My pleasure. So I, I, I touched on it, you know, in the intro, but you're an artist who, who has had her work exhibited around the world, which includes Berlin and Florence and Montreal, among many other places. But what I'd actually like to know is how did you come to be an artist? Like was that something that you pursued from a young age? Was it something you always knew you wanted to be? Did you fall into art later on in life? Like what what's that what was that like for you? No man. Um yeah, I, I mean to be honest, I probably avoided being an artist as hard as I could for most of my young life because <laughs> where you know I love making things I love drawing I was kind of you know always drawn gravitated toward drawing and but I, I was always a really really practical kid and I had very practical parents and so the idea of being an artist felt cool but just very impractical to me and not um something I really saw as like a viable professional path and so I avoided it really for as long as I could um and I just it just kept like eating away at me like needing to make art and wanting to study it and having it be more central to my life I you know and I it just got to a point where I couldn't um not do it and so I did my undergrad in, uh, you know, drawing and printmaking. And then I uh, ended up going for to graduate school actually in Canada mm-hmm. and then teaching in higher education and teaching all over the place and then uh, landing in coaching in the coaching world, which I'm happy to talk about too. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I uh, avoided my art for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going so studying and then becoming a teacher is that part of the avoiding the art thing do you think because like not that there's anything wrong with being an art teacher at all 
but you know, if if art was calling to you, but it wasn't something you thought was a feasible career, was like teaching art at least a way to do art without relying on perhaps not having a stable income, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think I, when I finally kind of committed to developing my creative life and, and learning the skills of making creative work and thinking about creative work and all of that. Um, I definitely saw teaching as something that, you know, a lot of people kind of think, okay, I love making art, but I don't really love teaching, but you know what? Teaching is like a very practical thing that you can do as a creative. So I guess I will teach. And I think that makes for a lot of, uh, shitty teachers, unfortunately, mm. which there are a lot of shitty teachers in mm. higher education. Sorry to say that, but it's true. Yeah. Um, but I really loved teaching. I actually, before I even, you know, got into taking my creative work a lot more seriously, I loved teaching. I, you know, I was te- teaching as a teenager, teaching in undergrad. And so when I de- started developing my creative practice, I really found a love of not just what teaching gave me as a way to understand that creative work and why I needed to do it. Teaching kind of helped me figure out that a little bit better. But um, when you teach or when you coach, you you feel a, a connection to something kind of greater than yourself and helping other people discover why making creative work is important was very, um, it was very like motivating for me and moving. And I, I find that now in, in the coaching work which, that I do now. Um, as well as I did in, in teaching. So well, I always loved it. It was always something I want to do because I, I loved it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's you mentioned that and it was something I was going to get to later, but we're here now. So like, why not just talk about it now? I'm curious to know, how does that working with other people have an impact on your own creative output and your own art? Like, you're not necessarily influenced by but perhaps inspired by like to to just work because I'm not sure how many people you work with as as a coach but like do you find yourself feeding off them as much as they're feeding off you I mean you know you are the teacher and they are the student but I don't know do you do you get anything from them as well Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's a different dynamic, just to, to give you a sense of um, how teaching and coaching are different, you know, in a, in a classroom environment, you're teaching. So my background is before I got into coaching, before I founded, um, I run an online community and coaching program for artists called A Mighty Practice. But before I did that work, I was, I taught at community centers for a really long time. I taught um, in undergrad. I taught, you know, in um, uh, uh, higher education setting. And actually before I started my new practice, I uh, was a uh, assistant professor of practice at UT Austin here in Austin, Texas, which is where I live. And there were parts of teaching that I, I loved like in that higher education uh, setting, because you're really thinking about what you're doing and there's kind of um, it's, you can go really deep into the work and you understand how that work connects to that individual and what they want to express. And there's something really beautiful about it. But I found the actual environment of teaching in higher education incredibly toxic mm-hmm. uh, for me. I thought there was like way too much emphasis on criticism. I thought that higher education placed so much um, 
you know, emphasis on a very particular, very narrow path that left students feeling very small and like things were not available to them. And it, and I had a big problem with that. I had a big problem with a lot of the messages that they were sharing. And so that's why I ended up creating really my own school, my own kind of way of coaching and mentoring and facilitating artists. And it is absolutely um, an exchange. I think the reason, and, and it's like energizing for me to do that work. And I think a lot of the reason why I started coaching um, artists is that I saw creatives having really the same problems over and over and over again, and no one was freaking talking about them. And it pissed me off. <laughs> that is why I started, I made, you know, developed a coaching program for artists and different resources for artists and having these really frank conversations around, you know, the very expansive possibilities that are available to us as creative people. You know, there's a lot of different ways to live a creative life, a lot of different ways to live a meaningful and financially sustainable creative life that academia does not present. And so I wanted to talk about that with my artists and, um, you know, go talk about these, these kind of topics that you can't really talk about in a higher education setting. So yeah, definitely energizing, definitely an exchange. I find that I find that interesting because, you know, I think whether we're talking about working as an artist or um, even just art as a hobby as opposed to, you know, an income stream, but even in lots of other facets of life, like we can because art is in many ways a thing you do on your own, you know, you can you can attend classes, you can do things in person or online or, you know, just catch up with friends and make art at the same time. But it is mostly something we do on our own. So it can be one of those things where you think to yourself, you know, you might get stuck on a problem or, you know, not quite sure where to go with a particular um, art supply that might be new to you. And I think you know, you might find yourself going, why is this not working? And, you know, going through that whole thing in your mind of maybe it's me, maybe I'm not, I'm the problem, it's not the material, it's me. Like, well, like why aren't we talking about these things in higher education? It, it, you know, we are, we're not, we are unique, but we're not unique in the problems that we find or the issues that come up with what we're trying to make. And it just, why don't we talk about that more? Like, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's not discussed. Yeah, you mean kind of like the isolation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you're having these feelings and these thoughts that aren't unique to you. Like I'm sure you've probably heard multiple times people saying, oh, I can't, I don't know, I don't have time or, um, you know, I'm running out of time to make something or, um, you know, I just can't get this art supply to work. You're not the only person that has that experience, but because you're making art alone so often, you, it can be easy to think you're the only one experiencing that. And to me, that should just be part of what you learn, you know, when you're learning art. It's no, everybody has these things and everybody has these problems and here's ways around it. Like, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think that was totally, I think people, I mean, that's kind of the, what's been most meaningful to me in doing my work as a coach is seeing that people artists really have the same kind of challenges and knowing how to speak to those challenges and help artists through those challenges is, is huge. I mean, the main challenges that I think artists have, and this could be like professional artists, but also like anybody who wants to make creative work, you know, even if you're an urban sketch or you're doing something like at night after your job and any, 
anybody that wants to dedicate time to making work that's meaningful to them, there's really kind of five big problems that artists have. You know, one of them is the inner critic. Mm -hmm. This like talking, the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we shut ourselves down. Like if you're having a technical problem with the material, or if you're having a problem of confidence, or if you have a problem of imposter syndrome and saying like, you know, why should I do this? It's all been done before. You know, that's kind of inner critic talk. Um, a problem of overwhelm. That's something that creatives really struggle with and having just a lot of different creative interests, a lot of things that are pulling them in many different directions and knowing how to prioritize or knowing how to focus on something like that's we're, we're creative. So like we <laughs> we're engaged by a lot of different stuff and knowing what deserves our attention is very challenging for creative people. Um, motivation, staying motivated, keeping going, all of that isolation that's a big challenge for creative people um, be feeling alone with your ideas feeling like you're not part of a community we're really social humans we want to be connected to others when we do this which is you know what you're pointing to there and um, structure like having habits I think like informing a habit forming a routine because the routine and structure and what you're doing to investigate something is really really powerful and that's stuff that um, creatives crave you know and we really struggle with so that's kind of the stuff. A lot of that is not addressed directly in higher education. And my other challenge with it was, you know, not a lot of skill building on, in those arenas, but also, and, and a lot of emphasis on criticism, but also there's no teaching of process. Yeah. And maybe that's kind of Kim, what you're talking about there. Like there's, there's no teaching. Do you feel like in your, you know, creative education, you, you learned a process for developing your ideas? No. Not at all. Absolutely not at all. I mean, I didn't do anything further than, you know, high school with 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 art education, but no, no, not at all. <laughs> Which yeah. is ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Like, why not? Yeah. And that can be really um, isolating for creatives too. So that's a piece of what I do in my coaching work is I wanted to find a language to talk with creatives about where they are experiencing stuckness, you know, like where in their creative lives are they experiencing a roadblock and giving them tools to work through it. So what I teach in my coaching work is how to develop your ideas using a particular process, um, which is these five stages that any creative goes through when they're developing an idea. And the five stages are your clear stage, which is about getting ready and getting started. Your play stage, which is about testing and experimenting. Your fuel stage, which is about informing and getting information and like, you know, learning. Generate, which is making a bunch of stuff. And then reflect, which is thinking about what you made. And basically all creatives gravitate towards one stage of the creative process that they really, really love. You might be somebody who like loves to reflect, or you might be somebody who loves to fuel. And when you spend too much time there, that's how you get stuck. So when I developed this framework and I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I could share that with people. It's just helps so many creatives, like hundreds of artists figure out how to overcome their stuckness. And that is what I do in my coaching work. Yeah, it's interesting because I read something. Uh, I think it was yesterday. It was um, a Substack newsletter by um, a woman whose name escapes me, but she's she plays in the um, art world and she's based in the UK. But I suspect what well I know what she says 
in this article reflected certainly here in Australia and I would imagine by the sounds of it, you know, in America as well, which is that thing that art has always played in the education as in, you know, uh, for, for children all the way through to teenagers has always been like second fiddle to say, you know, maths and science and, and um, language, English in our case. But I wonder, like, if is this part of the reason why, because it's not taken seriously, because it's not, you know, looked at in education as a feasible career, which, you know, is ridiculous. I wonder if that's part of the reason why we don't have these systems like that you've, that you've created and what you offer through a mighty practice. I guess that's because you, you lived in that system of, of education in schools and saw what was missing. And you can't change that, right? Like you can't change the education system as a whole. It's a shame, but you can't. <laughs> and I wonder if part of the reason it's just not given a, these things that you know you're seeing should be should be implemented, and, and and I and others as well. And I wonder if part of that is just because it's still not taken seriously. It's still not thought of something that's important enough. So why bother expanding it more than kind of what it is? I mean, you you mean in in uh in high school and yeah. lower school, like yeah, in, yeah, like yeah. it's 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 just not seen. Uh, overall, the feeling is it's just not seen. Like it's it's almost like looked at. Certainly here in Australia, and I'm sure elsewhere, it's kind of looked at as a subject to just take to fill your day, like to fill your education. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, you you need to be focused on science and math and other things where you can. You know, and, and of course, IT and those sorts of things too. Now, where you can get a real career, where you have a real job, you know, and and I think it's still sec, you know, played played out like it doesn't count. It's not as important. So why why would it therefore be um, developed more? And these ideas that you're having and have, they're not brought in because well, it's not really a serious career option anyway. I, I wonder if that's got something to do with it. I mean, yeah, it's really bad in the U.S. I can't, I mean, it's probably, like, the funding for the arts is is nothing, you know. And we also don't have healthcare. So for artists, if you are, or anyone who's working for themselves, it's, it's like, pretty brutal. Mm. Especially, too. And I'm also a parent, and, like, damn, it is, like, rough for creatives and parents, right? There's, like, no maternity leave if you work for yourself. So it's America's the arts are incredibly underfunded and um, it's definitely like a hustle system uh, more. So I've lived in Canada and Italy too, and just seeing how those systems operate and like the resources available to artists and the way that the arts are talked about. uh, It's just, it's much healthier in in many ways than it is in the U S. So I can't really, I mean, yeah, it's bad. It's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely bad. Um, I mean, I think part of, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's a shame because I think learning to utilise that, I think we all have creativity. Like I think with something we're all born with, it's, you know, as you look at young children and they're they're creative all the time, even just with their games and their um, imagination and things. And I think developing that, and it doesn't have to be, I'm not saying we all should become working artists. That's not at all where I'm going, but I think the skills you can learn through art and play and creativity actually serve you well as an adult too, even if you're not working as an artist. I think it just helps you 
think better on your feet. It helps with problem solving. Like there's just so much more to it than simply creating art that is pretty to put on the walls. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of what I try to do in my work as an artist and my work as a coach is that this process that I teach is it's not just about how do you make a painting? How do you write a song? But it's how do you develop an idea? Mm. And where else in life are you ever learning that? And an Mm. idea can be anything, right? An idea could be the concept of a podcast. It could be, you know, the plot of a book. It could be a business. How do you actually develop an idea and make it happen versus like, what are the steps you would take to do that? And I think that can be really powerful. Like if, if we have the skills and we understand how, how you as a specific creative human, the steps that you need to take to make that happen, to actualize things for yourself. Once you figure out what that is, you're kind of like unstoppable. And art school in theory, it was supposed to be, you know, in its ideal form, a place like that, you know, a place where you're supposed to discover radical new ideas and challenge institutions and challenge systems and make, you know, the unmakeable happen. And it's not anymore. It's, it's not, it's very narrow and minded of what is, uh, you know, what it, what's in discussion, uh, what is thoughtful, critical work, you know, what's in, in trend, who gets to be a part of that conversation. And I think they've made themselves narrower and narrower and more and more irrelevant. That's what I'm seeing happen in the U S and higher education. So I think what I'm doing in my work is trying to have really an expanded dialogue with creatives all over the map. You know, the people that come to do this work are urban sketchers, like people who just want to draw and learn how to draw and do that. People who've never made anything before. And then people who've produced shows for HBO and like have shown at PS1. I'm not kidding. It's like that broad of a range of people. And the amazing thing is that everyone has the same problems. Everyone has these, you know, these same core challenges as creatives. And it's, it's just nice to be able to, regardless of your skill level of whether you went to art school, whether you didn't know that we all, you know, want to create and have very, really similar challenges along the way. It's kind of amazing. So do you, I'm going to assume the answer is yes, but I will ask the question. Do you use your own, like what you've worked out that works, what you're teaching others, are you using that for yourself? Or do you sometimes, do you ever get stuck? Like, do you ever find yourself blocked? Or is it just not because you've nailed all the skills and so you never have an issue? Oh my God, no way. Of course I get blocked. Yeah, of course. Right, thank goodness. Thank goodness it means I'm talking to a human and not and not some superhero. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's like a very natural. And I say that to people that I work with too. Like, you know, when they're unblocked, I'm like, well, you're going to be blocked in like, you know, a couple of months. But now you know what to do. Because that's the idea is that it's a practice. It's a process. And, and it's knowing how to meet yourself in that and work through it. Absolutely. I get stuck. And the whole, the whole kind of methodology that I teach um, is... Uh, it's based on my own practice and my own, my own process. And then, and, you know, realizing how it's really broadly applicable to other people. So yes, I totally get stuck. Um, I can tell you the stage that I generate or I like gravitate towards to what my particular problem is. So my particular problem is, um, I struggle with burnout. Uh That's mine. I, I'm, call a striver I spend too much time at the generate stage I will say this very openly (laughs) it's not a a good 
good thing, you know, like some people love the reflection stage and overthinking it. Some people love the fueling stage and going on Instagram and seeking out all the time. I get stuck at the doing stage, which is the generate stage. And uh, I, I burn out, I overdo it. So I have to know that and I have to work with that and create rest, you know, opportunities for rest and refueling, which is what I try to do in my own work to overcome my own roadblocks. Yeah. I, I haven't for the for the sake of listeners, I, I'm not a I'm not a member, I'm not a student of, of a mighty practice, but having just listened to that and uh, you naming those five things, um, I'm pretty certain I get stuck at generate too. So um, okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> now I need some reflection. <laughs> I'm like, okay, ah. let's stop recording. I gotta go and deal with myself. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you know, I think our I don't know how it is for you, but I, in general, in the US, there's so much people say, okay, real artists, quote unquote, real artists are people who are making all the time, right? That's like the myth that's out there. It's on Instagram. It's like, they're creative. They're just in touch with their creativity all the time. They're flowing freely. And if you're not like that, if you're not making all the time and feeling really connected to your work, well, you're not a real artist. You weren't chosen by the art fairies and they didn't sprinkle their creative fairy dust on you and you're doing something wrong. Absolutely not. That is a total myth. And I think it's a huge, huge problem. And that is like my beef with the, the image that capitalism and social media uh, propagates, you know, like I think that's where artists also need to rest mm. and they need to not do things and they need to, you know, fill their own tanks up and not share everything all the time. They need to experiment and try new things and mess around and have fun and not be, Oh, you know, invested in the product all the time. That's what artists need too. Where is that? You know, where is that message happening? It's not. Because it's all about showing the end perfect result and not the 99 problems that you had leading up to that, that you know, 100th perfect thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So to, oh. to, to loop back to your own practice, I am curious because, you know, when I was doing my research, you work both, and I, I don't know if this is the right term, but it's what I'm using. You're working within a 2D space, which, you know, your drawings, but also 3D, which is I'm calling them sculptures. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but that's what I'm going with, probably for ease of uh, description, if, if nothing else, because listeners are listening. They haven't yet, well, they might have jumped online and found your, found your work and they're going, Kim, that's not what we call it. Um, but I'm curious to know why are you working within two such different spaces because they are, they are. Why, why am I working with sculpture and in drawing? Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's fun. <laughs> Great <Yeah>. answer. Because <laughs> I, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That, like, that's, that's the answer. I like it. I mean, dra- make, drawings is cool and making sculptures are cool. And I, think, I don't think you have to really uh, pick one. No. But, I mean, right now I'm making uh, – I'm doing more in the 2D world. I'm making uh, some mixed-media drawings and paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I might slip back into some sculpture in the next couple months. I like to move in and out. You know, I think wherever the ideas show up, that's where I go. If it so- seems like – got to be an object that's where I go if it seems like it's got to be a painting that's where I go or a podcast 
That's what I was going to ask you. How do you know which which medium to use? Or is it the idea comes fully formed as, oh, no, this thing has to be a drawing. It cannot exist any other way. I don't think in general my feeling on the development idea of ideas is that nothing really comes to you as like a fully formed thing. Things come to us as like hunches, right? Like impulses that we have. And the idea is that we need to like nurture those impulses and develop them um, through through the techniques that we have at everybody has different techniques at their disposal. So even if you're like, I have whoa, oh my God. Did you hear that thunder? Yes, I did. Holy Wow. Shook my studio. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. (laughs) I could feel that in the floor of my studio. I bet you could. Yeah, that would be, that would be amazing. Oh my goodness. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's, it's not. No, no, goodness me. No. Wow. That's unbelievable. That is wild. Um, Anyway, so I can't remember what I was saying. Things coming as uh, not fully formed ideas, but like as yeah, I can start. I'll start that that all yeah. over because I uh, um, yeah. So basically, I I I don't think things come as fully formed ideas. I think they come as impulses or like hunches that you have that you're trying to nurture and develop. And basically, everybody has different skills or tendencies at their disposal to develop those hunches. So you might be, you know, I know, Kim, that you work with photo, you might have a hunch and you might, you know, develop that through what I call your play strategy. And that might be through a photo based practice or taking photos or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Somebody else who's a dancer, they might explore an idea through a movement strategy. I have two kind of different play strategies. One is working with drawing from, drawing from observation. So I use that as kind of a way to get myself started. That's how I think about a play strategy is something you do to get yourself started. Mm-hmm. And then I have a collage play strategy, which is like putting things together and seeing where it takes me. And so whatever, when I have kind of a hunch or a creative impulse, I'm like, which strategy is more suited to that thing that I want to develop? Same thing with my coaching work or my teaching work. I have an idea, you know, maybe the idea is about confidence or the idea is about the inner critic or about uh, lowering the bar. And I might develop it in a curriculum or I might develop it in a podcast. So basically it's really being able to, I think the creative people that I admire are very in touch with their own ideas, but they also have these strategies in place that they use to nurture those ideas and let them out, you know, and use this like a process for developing those ideas. It's not like they just like, you know, pop out like a fully formed, beautiful, gorgeous thing. No way, Jose, Mm -hmm. right? They got to like figure out a way to shape it into into the thing it's going to be. And so I think because I have a lot of practice doing that in different areas of my life, I I am more um, comfortable moving into into sculpture or into like a new um, new medium, you know. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay, so you've had your you've had your your idea, your impulse, your hunch you've moved out into whichever ever form it's taking Let, let's say it's 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 moved into to the sculpture that that kind of realm where do you then go like because looking at um looking online at, on your website i'm seeing i'm seeing a few different 
things that you're working with to create the sculptures. How did you come to kind of be using those within your practice? Because obviously everybody's different. We have different materials we like to use, different mediums we like to explore. How do you? How did you stumble across or how did you seek out what um, supplies you're using, what mediums you're using? What sculptural materials are you looking at? Um, I was... Uh, well, you you have everything from the synthetic hair, which which just made me go, oh my goodness, wow! Um, <laughs> the actual I can't think of the name of it because it's literally only new to me from browsing your website, which is the what you're using instead of plaster of Paris or whatever. Oh yes, like hydrocal. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is fascinating yeah. to me. I need to know more. <laughs> yeah. So my so my training original training is in. Um, printmaking and drawing so I started in in drawing and um I would always think of I really think of myself as like an image maker and that sometimes that image involves an object you know we're working with something in 3d mm. but I my background was really in 2d so that was really where my skills and experience were so I was actually new as of like maybe five years ago or so to making objects um, and what I think in my drawings, a lot of the subject matter deals with the grotesque. So in my recent work, um, I am, a lot of my work deals with my anxieties around motherhood mm -hmm. and the body and the kind of transformation of the body and the relationship between the body, the mothering body and the body it's created like the child. And so a lot of my work will, um, be using color and the texture of drawing materials to make surfaces that are both really appealing and alluring, but also troubling and kind of grotesque. And, you know, the colors can be kind of like sickly sweet at times. And so that feeling that I was generating in the drawings of something that is both pleasurable and aesthetic and bright and kind of um, kitschy and attractive, but, you know, also you know, sticky and sickly sweet at the same time. I wanted to experience that in actual materials, right? So not just the simulation and in, in how it's something is drawn or what it's supposed to re resemble, but actually what uh, is, you know, hair or uh, like gums or slime or tar, like stuff that actually has kind of a material presence. So that was my hunch, right? If I go back to this idea of like the impulse, like I wanted to make alive and make three-dimensional some of the things that I was drawing, what would I do? What materials would I choose? Just like choosing a pencil or choosing a brush, you know, what kind of material, if I could just pick a material, what would it be to make the thing feel like how I wanted it to feel. And so that's when I started using things like tar or things like synthetic hair or um, plaster or um, using crystals and um, things that could be a part of like an altar, but also feel like they're coming out of a body or like being like a body being pulled apart. So that was where that kind of led my material exploration and my start starting to make sculpture. What I think I like about it so much is that it it really does represent life. Like, you know, we, we touched on it before about what we see online is quite often the end perfect result and we haven't seen all of the, the um, things we've done along the way to get to that point. Whereas what I'm seeing when I'm observing your objects and, and, and your drawings is 
life is messy, right? I mean, especially you, you're talking about and you're working within the sphere of motherhood, which I am not, but I've observed enough of it to know that, that life is messy and motherhood is messy. And yes, the giving of the birth, you know, birthing a child, but then everything else that goes along with it. And yeah. it's refreshing to see that just that honesty, but there is still beauty in that mess, if that makes sense. Yeah, these things are complicated. I think yeah. that's what, you know, my work aims to do is bring kind of complexity to these different experiences, you know, particularly as it relates to motherhood and the idea of like the mothering body and agency and transformation and what it's like to make and mother another it is it's a really really complicated thing and I think when I first started making um you know the sculptural work I was making around 2019 really fed into the drawings that I've been making now over the last three years and becoming a mother Mm -hmm. you know a lot of it was my um I used my art as like any creative person as a way to explore where I experience friction in my life and like what I can't understand in any other way. That is how I use my art. It's like to understand what, what things are, what I'm feeling, what it, what's complicated for me, what I want resolved, what I want to understand better. And that's what my drawings were for me in 2019 when I was contemplating motherhood. So um, these things are complicated and the, and the images are supposed to be complicated. They're supposed to be, you know, some of the images that I often explore or are using like famous Renaissance motifs, like the mother and child, um, you know, the Virgin Mary, but also um, troubling kind of myths that center around the mother, like Saturn devouring uh, her children, I'll say, or um, the Medusa, Or the idea of like, you know, um, Mary Magdalene and her relationship to her children. So there's like, there's all these like stories that I'm kind of like feeding in and and reinventing Mm. along the way through like the lens of how I'm experiencing uh, motherhood now. They also in these images often like I blend kind of, um, you know, Renaissance themes along with the experience of like a more animate way of experiencing motherhood. So I look in my work, I research how um, snakes and wolves and other animals change as they become mothers. So there's like a blending of those two worlds together. Yeah, the 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 uh, wolf mother really struck me. Um, that that image is just incredible. Um, yeah, it, and and it has it has a double meaning in just within the name itself because you know we think of we think of wolves and the, the, those sort of animals as well quite often as being you know because they they kill right but they're also protective and they're also loving and nurturing too it's just you're right it's so complicated you're so right it's just so complicated there's just so much to it and so many different layers and ways of looking at it all yeah, and it's the fierceness. I think that's a that's a piece of it in in that work. Is it's not if you look at classical painting, the mother is this pristine, gorgeous, uh, nurturing, loving, very flattened image. And I I'm interested in kind of the dark side of mothering and what happens, the kind of darker, more complicated feelings that come forward. This is also within the climate of in the U.S. 
you you probably know that uh, mm-hmm. you can't get an abortion in the U.S. Yeah, you know, they return Roe v. Wade. So I live in a state where I cannot get an abortion, and I cannot, uh, I do not have bodily autonomy. So if something happened to me, if I got pregnant and like I could die, and I, you know, that I don't have any rights as a as a woman in the state that I live in, and that's an infuriating reality for women in the United States right now. And particularly where I live. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of like rage about it, about who has control and, you know, the image that we want to present and, and the, how motherhood is, is who gets to decide who becomes a mother, who has the agency and what is that experience like? Yeah. So it's powerful stuff. And it's, I, I honestly never thought I would be sitting here at 20 in 2023 knowing that that exists, that as far as the state can, is concerned, where you live, you don't have rights as a mother or as a not wanting to be a mother. It's just, it's appalling. It's And I, this isn't the podcast for politics, of course, but it's appalling and it's distressing and it's disturbing and it makes me so angry. It really, and I don't even live there. It doesn't even actually directly affect me, but it does affect me because, you know, empathy and and. Yeah, it's it's just incredible. But there's and that, and that's very apparent in my work is that I it's there's a lot of rage. I know my <laughs> like there's a lot of the Ju- Judith and Holofernes. That's another kind of motif that comes up in uh, or story that comes up in classical Italian painting, and that's one I reinvent all the time. Of like you know, one young woman cutting off the beheading a man, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you know it's a really fun image to recreate because it's it's just the rage behind it and the power <laughs> feminine in it, but also because uh, a lot of my work is is has like comedy around it yes. too. Like you can yes. see them and they they feel kind of comical, and I think that makes them um, same as what the color does. It makes them really approachable. That's kind of my aim, where they have like an illustrative kind of colorful, fun sensibility about them that draws the viewer in. But then there is also like a reading that's um, darker um, that's there as well. So it's like a putting, I like to say as an artist, you, you got to make your candy. Your candy is all the stuff that pulls the viewer in and makes them want to engage with your work. But then you got to make that candy sour. Right? <laughs> sour is what makes them stay because it's what you're giving them as like a little like twist right a little bit of like oh that's interesting it makes them stick around it makes them question it makes them think about something so that's what it is for me is like the subject the content is like what the little piece that makes it sour I, I I've got to say I had a laugh just bef- before we started recording I was listening to the latest episode of your podcast and your, your comments yeah. about your mum saying that why don't you just draw circles and squares just oh, made me laugh so much <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Oh, man, I'm glad I made you laugh. I really, my poor mom, she, you know, she really tries hard. She really, yeah, very supportive, but she really just wants to, she's troubled by my. I can see, I can see how she would be. I can see how she would be, but it just, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, moms, right? Am I right? Exactly. You are exactly right. (laughs) Um, I am just curious to know with with the, with the drawings, what what are you using? Are you making? Are the, is it paint? Is it pencil? Is it markers? Is it a mixture of things? Like what what actual supplies are you using for that aspect? 
Yeah. So I use a lot of acrylic ink. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at, I'll look at some specific ones. Um, I use uh, acrylic ink, which is really great because it is very um, like dense and colorful and yeah. na- you know, you can really like layer all the stuff on top of things, layer, you know, pencil and all of that on top of it. Christine, I'm curious, like, what lots of advice would you offer to someone who, you know, maybe maybe they don't actually have a, a regular art practice? You know, they might perhaps sit down and doodle from time to time or, you know, they might be dreaming of of sketching every day or, you know, painting or sculpting or look, any, any number of different things, I guess. But they're yeah. kind of not really sure, like, where to go, how to start, how to get back to doing that thing that maybe inside them they know they want to do, like their heart tells them that they want to do, but for whatever reason their mind is telling them to not do it. Yeah, and I think that that's really common. I mean, with the people that I work with, even even people who have, you know, I work with a range of people, like some are coming in and they like have never really made anything before. But like you said, they feel really called to making creative work and they, they want to develop an approach for trying to figure it out. But then also people who are, you know, really accomplished and they can actually have the, the same block that you're talking about, which is how do I start? What it is? What is it that I want to say? What's my technique, which my approach, and that can be really overwhelming. And, and it's hard to know, like where to begin, especially if it's something that you're just developing on your own for the first time. And what I always tell people to do is to emphasize the play stage of the creative process. So I've talked about that a little bit here. When we think about getting started in a creative practice, we think, oh, I have to immediately produce amazing things. And that means the stakes are, you're setting stakes that are incredibly high for yourself. And when you're just starting, the stakes need to be really, really low. And that's why we focus on playing. Because when you're playing, when you're getting in touch with how you like to experiment and explore the way you did as a kid, Kid, it's much easier for you to begin because it feels like, um, you know, the results don't matter so much and the stakes are really low. So what I get people who have never explored this part of themselves to do is to think about how you naturally like to play as a kid. So when you were a kid and you were left to your own devices, what did you like to do? How did you like to express yourself when you were just having fun and the results didn't matter? And it's really amazing what people end up saying. Maybe it was doodling in your room, but oftentimes it's something else that's a lot more, um, you know, like visceral in some way. So, you know, it might be like walking on the beach and collecting shells or planning a treasure hunt or doing something really collaborative with friends or working with raw materials or, um, you know, directing a play. And people are really surprised by what comes up because that says something instinctively of like the, the ideas that they want to explore, but also the methods that they want to use. So for example, uh, one thing that people, people often discover is like, oh, actually, when I want to start a creative practice, it turns out I really like working with other people. Mm. You know, I like doing something collaborative. Or when I want to start a creative practice, I actually like being outside or in a particular place. And those like little discoveries are so key because they help you figure out how you might want to start. And maybe sitting down with a piece of paper or with a canvas is not actually like a natural way for you to start. And the way that you want to express yourself is different. So think about that exercise. That's what I would encourage first. How 
did you like to play as a kid? And see if there's a technique or like a practice there that you can use to jumpstart your creativity. It's really amazing what comes out of that when you think about it. Yeah. Well, you're giving someone permission to tap into their inner self. Like you're, you're just asking them and, you know, what really does your heart desire? Like, and I think that doesn't happen a lot really in a day-to-day adult sort of situation, right? So you're sort of, you're helping them to release that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the self-doubt and kind of nervousness that new artists have or like, you know, blocked artists have is that they don't have a technique. Mm. Quote unquote, I don't have a technique, right? I don't have like a medium that I'm good at. I'm not an expert painter. I'm not an expert craftsman. And that is a really common roadblock. And you don't need a technique. You develop a technique through repetition. So we have to get you doing something that you like to do and you will naturally continue to explore it and repeat it. And through that practice, you will develop your technique. So that comes with times and with reps. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess it's the same with things like, I suppose, sport, right? Like, you know, I'm sure there are people that are born gifted at whatever particular sport it is, but for the most part, it's just practice and repetition and doing the same thing or similar thing over and over again. And that's the same. Like it really is. Yeah, it's, it's true. And it's muscle memory, right? Like you get, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And you figure out what it is through that process of doing it again and again, and getting the reps in, you figure out what it is that you want to say. Some of this stuff just takes time. I think a lot of times people are, I don't want to say like looking for like a shortcut, but like <laughs> looking for like a hack, you know, I'm like, how do I just like get, you know, the most honest creative work out of me and absolutely are there some techniques to use sure but like a lot of it just takes time and takes patience with yourself and a lot of permission a lot of like cutting yourself slack and just you know coming back to your work again and again and seeing like how it can serve you first and where you are in your life and I really believe that I I think like you know our making should be about being in service to you and your life and what you need in that moment and if you approach it that way then really great things come out of it in my experience that's um that's a pretty profound quote right there Christine I really think like I mean, the, pr- the problem with this is this conversation I feel like I could have with you for like hours and neither you, myself or the listeners have time for that. But it, it's sparking so many ideas in my brain. It's just, it's crazy. But look, let's, let's, let's finish it here. Let's wrap it up. Otherwise we will, we will go, you know, this will be a four hour podcast and nobody wants that. Um, where, where is the best place for our listeners to find you, to perhaps reach out to you or simply follow along? with your own art practice and 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 see what you're creating these days yeah um the best place to find out about my work is at amightypractice.com and you can get our our newsletter or follow us on instagram and we have our coaching program is coming up this fall 2023 we run it twice a year the next one is coming up this fall and then if you want to check out my um creative work that's you can find me on instagram at christine.garvey not a huge Instagrammer, but that is where I am. You can it's hard, it. isn't it? It's hard to give yourself to, and it's part of everything, right? Like you've got to be there, but it also feels sometimes like a chore and then other times it feels joyous and it's like, oh, my goodness, it's another thing. Yes, for sure. 
Oh, well, thank you, Christine, so much for joining us. Thank you for making time. I really, really appreciate that. I know you are a busy, busy person. Um, but oh, thanks. Yeah, Gamma's thank was you so fun. Thanks for having me. It was great, great talking about this stuff. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. My pleasure.